At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. Father in heaven, um, God, sometimes there is nothing that we can do but pray. And the overall feeling we get suggests that we're small and insignificant to pray anything worthwhile. Nor do we feel like we have any authorities to see you shaking kingdoms, moving mountains, bending rivers for us, God. But we know that in our lamenting, we know that in our powerlessness, that you are over our circumstances and our situations. You are all powerful and you do not abandon us, your children. Fill us with that knowledge, with that hope. God, we know you are listening and you're about to do things in our lives as a result. We just need to hang on. Help us hang on, God. Remind us that our hope is not in the God of the past or or current sorrows, but in a living and powerful God who's declared a future for his people when devastation looms. Yes, Lord, you are the God of victory. Give us the courage to intercede and lament and ask for healing and renewal through the brokenness of our lives. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sunday afternoon, church was over, everybody was gone. And I stood there crying. My kids' ministry workers at the time, they were were waiting around for me, wondering why I was crying. I I don't cry. I'm a man. Men don't cry. But how could God do this? How could God do this? It was so unfair. It's so unfair. You see, earlier that day, I, I learned that a young girl that we had just graduated from elementary school committed suicide. What the heck? 12 years old. 12 years old. I mean, I could understand it better if she was 25 or maybe even 50 years old. I'd understand. But what does a 12-year-old know about life? That death was a better hope. What would drive a little child like that to say there's nothing except death? And that afternoon, the days that followed, the weeks that followed, the months, I cried. I asked God, how? How did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen, God? You're supposed to be my God. You're supposed to be powerful. You're not allowed to do this. But I got silence. Nothing. No answer. Her parents grieved. Her younger siblings wept. Her friends at church, they were shocked beyond disbelief. And in the end, none of us were the same. I mean, to the inconsolable parents, siblings and friends of this girl, this young girl, all we could do as a church was weep with them. Weep in the memories of better days. 
Weep in the hopes that God would hear. Weep for comfort sometime in the future. But that's what lament is, and that's our big idea today. Lament is the means to weep with those who weep. But how do we really lament without losing our faith? I mean, let let me phrase it another way, right? How do we hold our faith in one hand when our experience in the other says otherwise? When it says our faith is useless. When it says you should just give up. I, I mean... We know we can't give up on our faith. We we have too much history. But at the same time, we know we can't relate and admit that this reality is some type of messed up video game. It's just not possible. So how do we hold those two things and lament and weep with those who weep? In 587 BC, when the Babylonian armies invaded Jerusalem and they destroyed the city and the temple of God, the paradigms, the beliefs, the hopes that Israel had in God, it was all shattered, all gone, a nation destroyed. Their identity, their dreams, their pride, all of it left in literal heaps of blood-splattered rubble, the blood of friends, of co-workers, of family for those who remained. And it's in the face of this that God commands and God instructs his people to weep with those who weep. And maybe you're here today and you're lamenting injustice as the magnitude of Jerusalem. You have nothing left. Life as you knew it is nothing but a pile of what once was. And maybe that injustice, we can call it a broken relationship, maybe even a divorce, Maybe an untimely death, maybe a bad medical diagnosis, maybe unemployment, maybe just a failure in business or being just passed up for another job opportunity that you are qualified for because you wanted to do things the right way. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe maybe it's the repercussions of your sins and your bad judgments finally catching up. Maybe it's your addictions. Maybe it was the drugs or the alcohol or the pornography. Maybe it was racism. Regardless of what type of injustice that you're a victim of or maybe a witness to, I want all of us to know this. As children of God, weeping with those who weep is not just tears shed. It's not. It's actually three distinct acts of faith. And we're going to pick it up here in Lamentations chapter 3, in the second half of it, starting with verse 25. So open up your Bibles, Lamentations 3, 25. We're going to pick it up. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. 
to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Here's the first act of faith and lament. Remember the heart of God. Remember the heart of God. And this is probably the hardest thing for any of us to do, especially if we're in that moment of weeping, of lamenting. When injustice permeates our lives, when hope loses its glimmer, we fail to remember the heart of God. That young girl who died by suicide that I was talking about, she would have been a college freshman this year. And I only learned that she committed suicide because the bullying was so bad. There was no one she can turn to. There was no outlet. And so I asked, where was God in this? Because I forgot where God's heart was for this young girl. For who should have been a young woman with a bright future? You start to question faith. You don't remember God. You just experience the hardships, the pain. And see, Lamentations is just about this. It's about reconciling our faith with the reality that's so harsh. Our lived reality. And so when we come to verse 25, what the poet is doing, he's looking. He's looking at the injustice that just befell his nation. And he's trying to rebuild his faith because his experience tells him there is no faith. There is no hope. But yet he knows deep down inside, he's lived too long. He's seen too many things. And so we see him rebuilding his faith and he starts to rebuild it by identifying who God is. He rebuilds his faith and he starts by identifying who God's heart is for. And he realizes this in verse 25, God's heart is for people who passionately wait for him people who diligently seek him, people who place their hope in God. That's where God's heart is. And then he, the poet continues in verses 26 and 27 and reminds us that the heart of God is the first action of lament because it's the salvation of the Lord. There, there is no salvation without knowing God, without knowing Jesus. A lot of us know this in theory and in principle, but how we get there is just a different question. We, we just don't know how. And so the poet says, you know what? If your life is filled with injustice, with indignity, and you're having trouble to remember how you know God is for you, how you know God is alive, working, I'm going to share, and this is what verse 28 through 30 does. The poet says this, let him who's facing injustice, suffering injustice, sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. You see, the poet says we remember, by, by, we remember God by going into the silences. We, we remember God by going into the silences, bowing ourselves in prayer and waiting in hope for God. And we wait by going face first into the injustice of our lives that's afflicting us. This is how we remember God. 
It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. But the poet says in verses 31 to 39, if we do these things by going into the silences, bowing and praying, waiting for hope in God, we're going to remember who God is. God is the God who always comes back. The God is the God who works so severely but is much more generous in love. God is the God who takes no pleasure in making life hard. God is the God who sets prisoners free. God is the God who grants justice. This is what we remember when we go into the silences. When we bow our heads in the dust, we remember. We remember God is the God who would sacrifice his own son on the cross for our injustice, for our iniquities, for our sins, for our shame. And he does this because his heart is for us. That's what we remember. That's why our first action of faith and lament is to remember God's heart. We need to be reminded. Here's the second action of lament. Carry your cry to the Lord. Carry your cry to the Lord. Verse 40, we're going to pick it up again. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself up with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself up with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eye causes me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. And this is so powerful. It's powerful because the poet does something very subtly with the pronouns here. I want us to go back now and read this, taking stock of those pronouns. Because the pronouns teach us how to cry to God in lament. Verse 40. Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. Did you notice to us, it's let us, we. Lament was never meant to be done alone. Lament is a collective effort. It's a collective effort. That means if you're going through something right now, you were never meant to go about it alone. You were never meant to face it alone. And that's where a lot of us get lament wrong. We feel like it's our burden and ours only. So we lock it up inside, we suffer inside, and we don't share it. But lament is clear, is on all of us. The person sitting to the left and to the right, to the back and to the front, it's on all of us. Whatever you're lamenting, you weren't meant to cry to God alone. We carry those cries together. That's what the poet is teaching here. And I know some of us, we can't relate to being so broken, so broken by God that we need a community to have faith for us, to cry to God for us. 
And I hope and I pray that none of us know what that brokenness is like if we've never experienced it. But your duty, if you've never experienced it and you're looking from the outside in at injustice in people's lives is to weep with those who weep. It's to make sure you carry the cries of others to God. That is your duty. Look at what crying looks like to God in verses 43 to 47. And this is the poet again. You have wrapped yourselves up with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the peoples. All our enemies open their mouths against us. Panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. The key pronoun here is you, as in God. Why did you do this? Why did you allow this? He is the one we take our cries to. God is the one. Because no one else on earth can do anything about it. Nobody. Direct all of it the anger, the desperation, the anxiety toward God. This is what the poet is saying. This is what crying to God looks like. Some of us think it's unchristian to cry to God, but clearly here, the poet is saying, you must, you must, you must direct all of it, your cries to God. In verse 48, we're going to pick it up again. You'll see where it becomes the poet's personal responsibility, meaning it's our responsibility to cry, my eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive in the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said I am lost. Did you notice the pronouns my, me, I? My eyes flow with a river of tears. I am grieved by the injustice I see. I am lost because I understand the injustice. I've experienced it. You see, we, we can't be a people who disappear when things are tough. We can't be that cowardice. We can't be cowards. We're not called to that. We are called. We're told right here, this is our responsibility. My personal responsibility is to cry. Is to cry to God. Some of us, we ignore that and say that's not our personal responsibility. But the poet took it upon him, himself, for his city. This is our personal responsibility. When was the last time you cried as it was your responsibility to cry to God because of injustice? This past year, it hasn't been kind to my life group, to say the least. It's my family here in Michigan. And within my family here in Michigan, and we had so much bad news this past year. We had three cancer diagnoses. We had two miscarriages. We had three deaths of immediate family members. We had two relapses. We had job loss. We, we had just so much that I can continue about. But what could I do about any of those things? Can I heal cancer? Can, can I bring back people who are dead? Can I put babies back in mother's wombs? No, I can't do any of that. I'm powerless. All of us are powerless. 
What I can do is cry to God. That's all we can do. As a life group, that's all we can do. A family, all we can do is cry, God, why? Why? Pray why when we're together. Pray why when we're alone. All the same crying to God. This is on you. Have ownership. God, God, take responsibility for us, your children. That's what lament is. But it doesn't end there. The third act of faith and lament, the third action we take is to wait on the Lord to carry out justice. Wait on the Lord to carry out justice. Verse 55, we'll pick it up again. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me. O Lord, judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. You see, when we look at this last section, this is the most coherent section within this passage. And it's for good reason. It's humble, but it's expectant of God. It's an empowered prayer. It's almost like the words were given to the poet by God himself. You see, the poet here, he's posturing. He's posturing towards active waiting. Now, I know that's an oxymoron, right? Active waiting. How can you actively wait, right? But it's not the do-nothing type of waiting that the poet is telling us to do. It's a do-something type of waiting. It's a conscious use of time. And the time that's being used by the poet here is prophetic. It's prophetic in this last section. In fact, when we're facing injustice and we can't do anything about it, I hope some of you have noticed, but time doesn't move, does it? It just crawls. It's so slow. That's time we need to be using. Not just waiting around, but actively waiting for God. You see, that season of injustice, when time slows down, it's for us to posture ourselves actively waiting for God to do something and to pray prophetically. To pray prophetically. You see, when there's no hope, God gives us the hope, the words to pray. This is what it means to pray prophetically. I, I know I'm going to get some angry emails, right? Because I said that, pray prophetically, you know? That, that's not what we do at a non-denominational church. But I want you to hear this before you hit send, right? A prophetic prayer comes from the heart of God. It comes from the heart of God. It's for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whoa, doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound a little like the prayer Jesus taught us? Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prophetic prayer. This is what Jesus taught us to pray. It's not a weak and feeble prayer that most of us pray because guess what? Most of us don't pray. We, we pray sometimes, but when we're praying, it's usually when we're so backed up against the wall that all we have are these feeble, weak, God, I'm so hopeless. I'm so lacking. 
But God is saying here, if you're in lament, if you're in the midst of this pain, you're a child of God, you have power. You're not lacking. You are not hopeless. You are capable of a prophetic prayer because I'm going to fill your mouth with it. This is what you do when you wait. God is for you. God is a God of justice. You are his child. This prophetic prayer and lamentations, it has three parts. Listen to this, right? And I need you to listen to this because it gives us a framework to pray prophetically. Verse 55, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ears to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. The poet just throws it right back on God. God said these things. These are promises from God. The poet says, remember when you said this? Remember when you said this? Because God, you said you're listening. God, you told me not to fear because you redeemed my life. Then in verses 59 to 63, the poet reminds God of how his will, of how God's will is not happening here on earth. 59, you have seen. This is the poet telling God, you have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and the thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. God, you've witnessed this is what the poet says. Your will is not being done. The poet knows this. God, let me draw your attention to it. I know you see it because God does see. And then in verses 64 to 66, this is what the, pro, the, the poet expresses, his expectation of God's will to unfold on earth. You will repay them, O God, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. The poet knew how the story ends. It ends with God's will. He is a God that will. He will pursue us in our brokenness, our hurt, our pain, our sins, even if we won't and we can't. He was so willing that he didn't spare his own son. Just think of how gracious he is to us who are lamenting injustice in our lives and in this world. I love what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8. Verse 31, he says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is a promise. God has already redeemed our future through the blood of Jesus. And there is nothing, nothing that will separate us from that love of God. Nothing. That means our sins. 
the sins of others against us, however they're manifested in injustice in our lives. None of it is going to separate us from the love of God. Our story doesn't end with lament. Instead, it begins with lament. When we remember the heart of God, when we carry our cries to him, when we actively wait for him, for his justice to unfold, we become solidified as mourning conquerors, as God's children. You see, if you're in a place where injustice is reigning and your hope is dimming, this is your opportunity to receive Jesus into your heart. Receive the hope that God has for you, for me, for us. Jesus carried out justice once and for all. He died on the cross to rescue us from our sins. He was risen again on the third day to show that even the ultimate injustice, death, death could not contain him. And that's because of the love God has for you and me. He will deliver because he loves us more than injustice can harm. And maybe you know someone who's living hell on earth right now. Lament with them. Don't cower away. The burden is yours. Go to them. Weep with them. Carry out these actions of faith and lament. That is what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, nothing can separate us from your love. But it doesn't mean that we don't feel hopeless sometimes because of the injustice we suffer. We have nowhere to take our complaints, our cries, our tears, except to you. God, and we ask that your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth for the sake of us, your children, because we are redeemed by your blood, Jesus. There are people here today, God, with just a sliver of hope that they would encounter somebody to carry their lament because honestly, there are no more tears left. There's just no more sorrow, just pain, tremendous amounts of it. We pray that there are divine appointments for those people. And from those appointments, we believe that you will provide supernatural healing and miraculous reconciliation. God, give them hope today. And God, for the people who never knew you, but now that they're here because you brought them here, help them receive your son, Jesus. Help them receive, that, receive Jesus in their hearts and their minds. God, receive them as your children. Fill them with your spirit. Let them know that you are for us, for them. Lord, we know your will for us, the plans that you have for us, the plans to prosper us and not to harm us, the plans to give us hope and a future with you. So deliver us today from injustice in our lives. We pray these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.